Welcome to Season 5 of the Art of Teaching Podcast. My name is Matthew Green and I'm so grateful that you took the time to listen. When I started this podcast at the beginning of 2021, I had no idea that the episodes and discussions would resonate with so many educators across the globe. So thank you to all those that have downloaded, listened to, shared and reviewed the podcast. It means the world to know that there are teachers out there that are benefiting from these discussions. Today I have another amazing episode from an incredible educator, Dr. Hugh Chilton. Hugh serves as the Director of Research and Professional Learning at the Scots College, a leading Presbyterian school for boys in Sydney, Australia. As a member of the executive team, his role is to advance the college's brave hearts, bold minds philosophy. In this wide-ranging discussion, we talked about how to build expert communities of knowledge and practice, why schools must begin to see themselves as independent research hubs, lessons from the pandemic and how we need to respond to these new opportunities, and how small acts of encouragement can significantly change the lives of young people. It was an incredible privilege to speak with you. I hope that you get as much out of this interview as I did. Dr. Hugh Chilton, thank you for uh, having a chat to me today. Welcome to the podcast. Matthew, so good to be with you. Thanks so much. It's uh, really lovely to talk to you. You are uh, obviously on school holidays, so I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to time to check in. I've been fascinated with your work for um, a really long time and can't wait to get to know uh, you a little bit better and find out some of the amazing things that you are doing. But the uh, probably the most important question uh, is, uh, what's your coffee order? <laughs> Depends on the time of day. I think okay. in the morning it's a three-quarter cappuccino. Yeah. In the afternoon it's a little piccolo, not so much milk. Fantastic. So why the change from a, um, a three-quarter to a piccolo? No one wants a lot of milk in the afternoon. You're kind of tired enough as it is, so get get, uh, get your caffeine ratio sorted. Interesting. And I understand that an item still in your bucket list is to do a mega hike. Uh, where does that interest come from and uh, where would you like to hike to? Yeah, so I think I've always loved hiking. Something about, you know, being in creation, being totally sort of self-sufficient, Mm. Um, and I've read various books about the Appalachian Trail and uh, some of those massive, you know, multi-month uh, walks in America and the like. So, yeah, love one day to maybe have the opportunity to um, give some of that a crack and, um, and, and uh, you know, brave the bears. Amazing. One of the best things that my wife and I have ever done uh, was the Inca Trail in South America. Oh, fantastic. And it was just breathtaking. Like, it was a seven-day trek and it was really complete i wouldn't say self-sufficient there were definitely people there setting up things for you um but we felt like it was self-sufficient but it was really beautiful there's something about just getting out in nature i think and uh um and and exploring um Mm. a book uh that made you stop and reconsider everything i know you've got a couple here (laughs) sure uh probably i have to say um when i was 18 probably reading uh, the, the book of Psalms in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think more recently, um, I've got three little kids and so I read a lot of picture books and um, one of them is The Very Cranky Bear. I'm sure maybe parents are familiar with that. I don't know if you've got that on your, um, you know, bedtime list. Yeah, I, I'm actually looking at a copy now on our bookcase. Um, it's one yeah. of my girls' favourite stories. But why, why do you, I mean, that's a broad 
uh, range from the from the Bible to the very cranky bear. So why the very cranky bear? It's uh, yeah, a lot of picture books often you know can communicate something really pithy. Um, and so if the story is pretty simple. There's a uh, a group of three animal friends and they're playing in a cave and they disturb a bear who's very cranky and chases them away. And then they um, think about how they can win the bear over. And the, mm. so the moose says, well, you know, he's obviously angry because he doesn't have antlers. So I'll give him some, make some antlers. And the zebra says he's angry because, you know, he doesn't have beautiful stripes like I do. And so she goes in with some, some black and white paint and the lion um, struts around and says, well, obviously he doesn't have a golden mane like mine. So Takes wow. in some straw and um and then you know they get chased out again and the bear just says all i want to do is sleep and so little sheep who's been looking on um thinks about it and then shaves off some of her wool and um shears it off and puts it in a little bag and um, makes the bear a pillow and um and they're all able to you know continue with their their card game in the cave so i just think it's a really sweet story um but also there's something profound there about how you know, often we, we want to solve what we think are people's problems um, by just replicating um, ourselves. But yeah. there's a real wisdom in being able to, yeah. to look and listen and, um, and then to respond in a thoughtful and maybe even kind of self-sacrificial way. So uh, I don't know if my kids are quite um, ready at that level, but um, that's something that's made me stop and think about how I think about other people. It's, it's so true. And I love that kind of multi-layer, that those different layers of narrative and stories. I mean, I've been watching, I must have watched it 50 times, all four of the Toy Story movies with my children. <laughs> and I remember seeing it as a child um, and having a particular reading and then going back and looking at it as an adult is has a completely different um, meaning that you can draw out of it. And I love that. I think great stories can be approached and interpreted at whatever level you you approach them, which is really, really interesting. So I love, I'm a huge fan uh, of that book. Um, Nick, I believe it's Nick Bland who's mm. read the book. Amazing, amazing writer. Um, if you could have a dinner party with anybody, um, who would be there? Of course, your wife, family and close friends uh, do not count in the head count. Um, but you mentioned a couple of other people, which I thought would be really interesting. Yeah, so I, um, you know, I'm a bit of a history buff and love reading uh, biographies and the like. And um, yeah, I'd say two two people I really enjoyed reading last year was one was Charlotte Mason, who was a kind of late nineteenth century, early twentieth century educational reformer in the UK, and really, um, you know, inspired a new approach to not just homeschooling but um, nature study, picture study, um, slowing down education, so that. Uh, the habits of attention and curiosity and the like we cultivated. And I just really enjoy kind of hearing her take on the world. Um, and, and the other person is, is um, pretty much better known is, is Abraham Lincoln. I read um, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin's book, Team of Rivals, about him and his cabinet last year. And um, yeah, I just think he'd be a fascinating person in terms of what he endured and um, the, the, the fierce resolve that he had to, um, to see through his calling in his very challenging circumstances. But also, my understanding is he was a marvellous storyteller. So I think he'd be a lot of fun around, uh, around a dinner table. So Charlotte Mason, Aaron Lincoln, and me. Absolutely. I think that's a, that, and me, if there's a spare spot, that sounds amazing. <laughs> Team of Rivals is on my uh, list of books to read. I've heard so much about it. Uh, I heard a, uh, an interview with Doris a little while ago, and I thought, she sounds very, very interesting. Um, and so went and ordered the book. So yeah, can't wait to get through that. It looks like a fascinating read. Um, Hugh, I want to take it all the way back to the beginning. So what was your uh, 
upbringing like and what are you most grateful for from your parents? Yeah, little small question. Uh, (laughs) It is a huge question, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, I think I had a really, really privileged upbringing uh, in in so many ways. I um, am one of four siblings and um so we had a big loud family and that was a lot of fun a lot of wrestling and a lot of adventures and 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 so forth um my dad's a a pastor and my mum's a vet and so we always had lots of visitors in our house um lots of different people people from you know all sorts of walks of life all parts of the world and lots of different animals as well we um lived in the country for a while and um, so we had, you know, kangaroo at one stage and frogs and all sorts of, all sorts of things. Um, but uh, yeah, I think what I kind of, looking back, was most grateful for was just that sense of um, being engaged with people and the world, um, being um, helpful to people. I think um, my parents really, um, yeah, I could see in many ways and have seen many ways since as an adult, the way that they've cared for people. And um, yeah, and I think also probably a real value on kind of learning and growing. I remember my dad mm. would always, anytime we'd go anywhere, he'd take a pile of books with him and um, that he'd get so busy chatting to people and, and connecting that um, he very rarely gets to them. But just that love, love of life, love of learning and, um, and hospitality that can be such a blessing to people. So yeah, some of the things that, that I really benefited from growing up. Do you, uh, do you carry a book with you wherever you go? I think I have kept that habit, but I'm a really slow reader. So um, okay. I, I carry it, but it's a bit like an albatross around the neck. So. Yeah, my, uh, my wife does. She'll always have a, a book in a bag or something that she's working through, quite often multiple books that she's at different points doing. And it, I, I, I like that, like, you know, that you can kind of take these moments in your day and use it, even if it's just half a chapter or a few pages to, uh, to learn something. That sort of passion to be a lifelong learner is really, uh, I think, really wonderful. Um, Hugh, do you mind telling me uh, just a brief history of your career uh, in education? My understanding was that it was, uh, in your words, an accident. Um, so how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, I think um, the question career, often, you know, you think about the other meaning of career, it's sort of like to just hurtle forwards, mm. <laughs> um, careering along. So, but yeah, I, I think I never really planned to be a teacher. It's interesting working in schools where, a number of people do, a number of colleagues, you know, do speak about having wanted to be a teacher since they were a toddler um, and, you know, having gone straight from school into a teaching degree and having that passion for it. I, I never really had that. I, um, I, when I finished school, I was planning on joining the army actually. And uh, I took a year off um, to get a bit of life experience, worked in a, in a school in the UK, um, traveled a lot and, and changed my mind about um, the military and decided to study an arts degree. That's what you do when you don't know what you want to do. Um, but that's what loved, I did. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Just loved learning, loved the environment at university, um, um, the, the freedom to explore and uh, to really be curious about the world and got to the end of that and thought, I'm, I'm not done yet. I'm, I've got more questions that I want to explore. So kept going, um, had the opportunity to do a PhD in history and um, not with really a view to, becoming an academic but just a view to um to thinking and reading and and learning more and hopefully answering some questions that are interesting to me but useful to other people as well mm. so um so got near the end of that and thought okay what next and explored a variety of different fields i remember um doing some uh, some interviews um around management consulting and i was um sitting in this 
um, boardroom looking out over the harbour and all very intimidating. And they sat us down and, and gave us a maths test. And I, um, I wish I'd persevered at maths, but it doesn't come very easily to me. And I thought this is a clear sign that this is not the field for me. So looked into some other things and, um, and reached out to some people and, and thought, you know, maybe, maybe I'll go back to school and spend some time teaching, even just for a few years before perhaps thinking about some other things. Um, and um, yeah, and uh, connected with a colleague who had just moved to Scots and was building a research centre, research culture at the school and really trying to help uh, an old school recover its sense of identity and purpose and scholarship um, and, uh, and mission in the world and said, you know, why don't, why don't you come and teach and be part of um, this project of, um, of, of change at Scots as well. So I uh, took that opportunity with both hands and, um, and have really enjoyed being in the classroom and part of this great school uh, ever since then. Fantastic. And we will uh, dig in a little bit deeper to this amazing research centre um, at Scots and, and just talk a little bit about the mission of that. I think there's so many wonderful things happening and I'll put all the show all in, in the show notes, the links to all of the resources, all the things that we talk about so people can have access to that. Um, so in some of your responses to my questions, it says that um, you have changed your mind about leadership. So how, how so, and what is your current view on what leadership means? Yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting question, what you've changed your mind about. I, I, I hope I've changed my mind about, about leadership. I think growing up, um, I had a, probably a view of leadership as being about kind of having all the answers, um, mm. being able to organise things and direct things and what have you. Um, I think that's probably why I kind of wanted to join join the military. There's a really clear sense of you know, structure and um, and so forth. But I think I think I've changed my mind about the way in which great things happen as people come together. Um, it's much more about seeing the energy, the ideas, um, the challenges, and the and the critiques um, that come from bringing different people together than it is about. Um, you know, following uh, one person's direction. I think leaders obviously have to have a clear sense of purpose and they have to be willing to like, point at a mountain and say, let's go there. Um, but I think the, the old kind of command and control approach to leadership is, um, is not the way that great things happen as mm-hmm. people come together. So I think, I've, I think I've changed my mind about that. And, um, and I guess I'm learning to, um, to really change the way I go about being a leader to reflect more of what I um, what I believe. I, I just want to take you back a little bit, Hugh. Um, you mentioned that your dad was a pastor, and I wondered uh, what some of the differences are that you've seen between leading a group of volunteers and also leading a group of people that are actually paid to do a job. Um, did you do you have any uh, any views on those different styles of leadership or those different types of leadership? Yeah, I think uh, it's I mean, being a pastor. My dad's an Anglican minister. It's like is the hardest job in the world, I think, um, and also most rewarding in that you um, you are bringing together a really diverse group of people um, who, uh, um, yeah, have just so many different mm-hmm. needs and um, and the work's never done and all those sorts of things. But I, I think I think it's what I've perhaps learned from that is that. Uh, understanding people, knowing them, being there for them, um, making it about them, not you. Um, yeah. And I think pointing them towards uh, something bigger, um, that there's, that's, not, that's not the 
that's probably not what you learn in, um, you know, in an MBA or what um, mm. we see often exalted in leadership. But I, I think in, um, in quite profound ways, that approach to shepherding people, yeah. um, you know, the word for past, pastor, pastor is to feed. Um, yeah, wow. I think that has a rich and enduring um, mm. legacy in people's lives. It might, my dad um, sort of semi-retired earlier this year and had this big dinner to, um, to sort of farewell him and, yeah, just seeing all the people wow. who wow, he's been really able special. to influence um, and, yeah. and generations, um, you think, yeah. wow, there's something profound about that, that vision wow. for leadership as service. Yeah, thank you so much for, for answering that. I think answering that so wonderfully and so clearly. And um, I think it is really important to um, to instill this sense of why and, and, and to give the people that you're leading a bigger vision, whether they be paid or on a volunteer basis. I think that's really, really important. And uh, what a privilege from your point of view to get to see both leadership inside of a, a school environment and also outside. I think that's really, really wonderful. And it seems like it's really benefited um uh, your own leadership immensely which is which is really lovely so how long have you been uh, a school leader and what are some of the things that you love about your role yeah so i've um been in my current role director of research and professional learning at scott since the start of 2018 and i uh really loved the opportunities I think the diversity of what I get to do in a given day or week are really energizing. So, you know, I, I teach history um, to boys and, uh, and I tutor boys um, I see every day. And so there's a sense of um, being really uh, at the grassroots of what we're trying to do in education, helping a, you know, a 13 year old um, figure out how to plan his homework schedule or yeah, um, yeah. trying to, trying to explain you know, um, why the Great Wall of China was built or something like that. I love the energy of the classroom and, and, and being with boys. Um, and at the same time, being able to, you know, work as part of our executive leadership team on big projects um, and, and strategic choices as an organisation and thinking about how we, um, how we shape our, our uh, strategy and purpose so that it is really uh, true to our heritage and to mm. what we're called to do into the future. And then I, I get to, in my role, work um, a lot beyond the schools. So partnering with other schools and universities and industry um, in Australia and overseas. So I love that diversity and uh, it's very energizing and, and rewarding. Fantastic. And what are some of the, uh, what are some of the challenges? I mean, obviously you have, so the challenges within your school and within leadership, but also more broadly in terms of being that voice in the educational community. Yeah, I think the challenges are, you know, manifold. Um, schools are pretty busy places and yep. uh, and yet they're, you know, I think it's a bit cliche to talk about the industrial model of sort of schooling, but schools, uh, you know, run by bells and timetables and mm. um, subjects and what have you. And so they're, they're fairly fixed environments. Um, and so I think one of the biggest challenges is kind of we, we increasingly recognise that we need to change the way we go about education and schooling uh, so that it is yeah. a better preparation for life for students. Yeah, um, uh, it's more engaging. Uh, it's shaping the whole student, um, all those sorts of things that are, that are talked about um, with increasing kind of consensus. And yet the model that we have is pretty fixed and it's really hard to change that, um, not just because of the, the 
the kind of concrete um, realities there of subjects and timetables and indicative hours and yeah. all those yeah. sorts of things. But, but I think actually perhaps more because of the kind of mental model that we have as teachers and as students, as parents, as school leaders about kind of what school should be. Um, and that's very deeply kind of ingrained in us. So it's ingrained in me. So I think one of the biggest challenges is how we see uh, agency afresh, how we see opportunities, how we learn from, um, from voices and examples that are very different to our own setting and how we think about um, how we might do things differently in schools. So I think that's, that's, a, that's a big challenge amongst the business um, to not default to what we've always done. And, um, and I think uh, being able to have the kind of patience and focus to take on some of those challenges, um, yeah, it is a real, a real difficulty of school leadership. So how do you make sure um, as a school leader that you are constantly learning and putting yourself in a position where you are able to try new things or you're modelling that for your team? Because we expect this from our students, but it's a little bit harder maybe when we're adults. So how do you help to create that environment where risks can be taken and where questions can be asked? Yeah, I, it's a good question. I think I'm somebody who likes to have a lot of new ideas floating mm -hmm. around. I love listening yep. to podcasts and reading books and pre-COVID going and visiting um, visiting other schools and just seeing what's going on around uh, the place. And I'm the sort of person who will, you know, come back and fire off some emails and, you know, chat someone in the corridor and say, hey, I picked up this great idea. How can we? Um, and so I think that's a real privilege of my role that I get to be um, able to step outside of um, the day-to-day -day and, and to see what's happening elsewhere and, and hopefully um, bring that back into our context. And I recognise that for a lot of teachers, um, the day-to-day -day is is highly demanding and exhausting. It doesn't leave much space for being able to, um, to you know, think about new ideas and integrate that into practice and then make that change happen. So um, there's a real responsibility to, to doing that. Um, but I think there's... Uh, a need for us to be able to create space and time for people to do that. Uh, one of the things we've done at Scott's is run a, a leadership development program for our staff um, who are, you know, early in leadership or aspiring leadership. And a big part of that is helping them to hear voices beyond the school and, uh, and experience that. So when we took a group of staff a few years ago um, to Vanuatu to partner with um, a Presbyterian school there and to really think about, education in a very different setting mm. and we took them uh, uh, the year before that to, to China to see some um, some very different schools there and I think when you get to see different things um, on a scale like that or even just you know going to a conference or visiting uh, another school down the road that can really unlock the possibility of what what things could look like um, and uh, and give confidence to the fact that we can have a go in our mm. setting here. Yeah, and obviously the school that you're teaching on, uh, from, uh, respectfully, is, is coming from quite a, a privileged position. I mean, it's quite an affluent school. Um, you have some amazing um, resources at your disposal. Um, I think it's really uh, important to do these trips and to take these wonderful educators that you get to lead out of their bubble um, and also to see other contexts. Do you think that is particularly meaningful to, to see how other schools do things? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's nothing like seeing it happening to um, to see how it might work. And but I think one of the exciting things about the time in which we live uh, is that the world is pretty flat. Uh, yeah. So we can we might not always be able to go and in fact, 
very few of us now can travel anywhere, but um, that we have at our fingertips so many resources, um, you know, podcasts, videos, um, courses, what have you, um, that just weren't, weren't available, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So I think there's a real opportunity there. The challenge, though, is that we can be flooded with so many stories and voices and examples um, that we can either just be overwhelmed by it and kind of go back to what we know, yeah. or we can be, um, you know, a little bit susceptible to the 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 shiniest thing, the, the newest yeah. voice, without yeah. really thinking hard about, okay, well, where are we? What's our context? What's going to be helpful here? So, um, but I think that's, I think it can be just as valuable and powerful going down the road. In fact, some of the, the things that I've learned most about are just from connecting with colleagues um, at schools uh, nearby in Sydney. Yeah, it's so wonderful. And of course, um, I mean, I live in the, the Sutherland Shire and we've been criticised for being in a bubble uh, quite often. Um, and I think it is really important to get outside of your um, of your context and see how other people do things, whether it be the independent school down the road or a completely different sector, because um, I think it's always wonderful to see great practice reflected in teaching and learning, which is fantastic. It's so exciting to hear some of the amazing things that you um, are doing at Scots. Hugh, I'm just interested about the Brave Hearts, Bold Minds philosophy of education at Scots. Would you mind maybe unpacking um, some of those central uh, themes, please? Sure. I think it might be helpful to sort of explain a bit about, about the school. So it's a, those not familiar, school um, founded in 1893, Presbyterian school, about 2,000 boys and all the way from, you know, three-year-olds through to 18-year-olds um, and about 330 um, staff. So it's a big school and it's spread across about eight different campuses. Um, and uh, our, our principal, Dr. Ian Lambert, when he arrived in 2007, um, really was uh, instrumental in shaping up a kind of common coherent picture of the the purpose of a Scots education and the journey that we want to see boys go on over their time with us. So I think at the heart of that phrase, brave hearts, bold minds, is kind of a vision for human formation um, in the particularities of a boys school. So it's about seeing boys um, not just kind of proceeding through a lockstep um, educational process and popping out the other end with a piece of paper and a ticket to the next thing, but really seeing this as a special time of, um, of adventure, of challenge, of um, moving towards a place of courage and conviction in the world. Mm. It's about seeing um, different uh, important moments and experiences along a boy's journey. So for instance, you know, our boys when they're in year nine spend uh, two terms, half the year living in community in the Kangaroo Valley uh, and you know, undertaking all these amazing uh, adventures there they go and spend four days entirely on their own uh, in the bush reflecting on who they are who their family are what they want to be what they want to do with their life they finish with a 200 kilometer um, hike and 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 ride all the way back to Sydney so amazing experiences like that but kind of knitting that all together into a picture of you know what's life all about what's why am I here um, where do I fit in how might I serve others those big oh. questions I think that's what it speaks to and it's been a really powerful mobilizing um, idea for us uh, in that I think in our society for young men or um, for all people actually there's a sense of kind of anime of dislocation of you know where do I fit in what is right and wrong what's the point what's the purpose and to say that we have a really rich heritage in our school and, and going beyond that in the Presbyterian church and the Christian faith um, more generally 
that says, no, no, there is a big story. It's a good story. Uh, it helps you helps you find your place in the world, deal with the, the messy realities of life um, and see yourself as somebody called to serve others. I think that's a really powerful thing to invite people into and, um, yeah. and to help them experience across their whole time at the school. So, yeah, so seeing the, seeing the calling we have to form boys, um, that education is not neutral, that we take a stand on things and that we need to be really deliberate about how we form them across their whole time at school and, and, uh, and, and into the future. So, Hugh, what are some of the initiatives that you're engaged with currently at Scott's? So we've got a research office at Scott's, um, which we're really um, privileged to be able to, um, to, to resource. And the, the purpose of that is to help the school to really be engaged with new ideas coming from elsewhere, but also creating we talk about as a community of knowledge, practice and formation within the school. So what does that mean? That, that's really about helping our teachers to, um, to be engaged with uh, new currents of ideas from elsewhere in terms of the best work going on in universities and um, seeing how that's applied in, in industry, communities of practice and really developing expertise in their own work as, um, as those in the vocation of formation. And so we run a range of programs for staff to help them engage in research. So all of our staff are part of um, little action research teams called Teaching for Character uh, in the Teaching for Character program that we run, where we'll take one of the qualities that we want to see our boys develop. So it might be humour or honour or, um, or adventure or something like that. And really think about not just how do we deliver the curriculum or how do we implement particular pedagogies, but how do we design learning experiences that are deliberately and uh, authentically moving students towards maturity in one of these character qualities. So for instance, you know, in my own uh, area in history, we last year were looking at uh, how we might help boys to appreciate the value of service. And so the boys engaged with our local uh, returned servicemen's league and researched um, uh, students and family members who've been uh, serving in the war and then created a speech to deliver at their local RSL's Remembrance Day um, service and, and reflect on what does it mean to value service at this stage that's in really, their lives. That's so, really cool. Really so cool. projects like like that and then we also work with um, with universities and, and other schools on, on bigger projects. So we're part of something uh, really interesting at the moment around boys and the use of uh, boys and, and the world of new and emerging technologies and how technology is um, is shaping learning relationships in schools. That's with a bunch of boys schools around the world and, and, um, and University College London. And so really interesting to see how we might um, design research that is really responsive to the particular context that we're in. And, um, and some other projects that we're really excited about developing into the, um, particularly this year, are ones around how we connect leaders uh, who are passionate about character education, character formation, and really help them to go on a journey of their own character formation. One of the things I've sort of um, observed is that in teacher education, initial teacher education and ongoing professional learning, there's a lot of focus on technique, uh, on the how, which is really important. Uh, there's a really strong why um, there in teaching. But uh, if our most important work is forming people in their character, in their, um, their moral vision, in their kind of civic outlook, in their intellectual character as well, um, then we need to be serious about how we help people to think about what that means, how we think mm. about expertise in character 
education and the development of one's own character. So that's that's a project we're really excited about. And uh, and the last one is around uh, how we uh, how schools take more ownership of their um, their kind of scholarly identity. So we've been running this research office at Scots for for almost a decade, and a number of other schools in the last little while have started research institutes or offices or things like that themselves. And we think there's a really interesting phenomenon here where schools at a grassroots level are asking questions that are relevant to them, are generating new knowledge, are partnering, are experimenting, uh, and are really kind of taking uh, back some ownership of um, themselves as learning communities, not just delivering expertise that's generated elsewhere, but um, being part of that conversation in, in rich ways. So we're really interested in in what that might mean for the future of education. Uh, what it might mean for the retention of teachers uh, who are part of communities that are really interested in questioning, in uh, rigorous research, in experimentation and so forth, and are able to speak back to universities and, and policymakers as well. So we've done some really interesting things, gathering some of those schools together in a sort of research invested schools network and looking forward to, um, to studying that phenomenon um, with some partners at the University of Newcastle over the rest of this year. So there's some of the things we're working on and, and really again, trying to see how we might, you know, create new models for education in our setting um, and using the resources and the opportunities that we have here um, and, and encouraging others to, um, to be part of that as well. So it's a really exciting year ahead and, and um, some great ways in which we hopefully might um, pursue the, the kind of the founding vision of Scots, which was higher learning for the common wheel. So the idea that, we're to do more than just what schools are meant to do. We're to pursue higher learning and we're to do it not just for ourselves, but for the common wheel, for the common good, for the, the kind of flourishing of society. Um, Hugh, I want to be respectful of your time. Just have a couple more questions. Um, you mentioned um, that you want your legacy to be a legacy of little interactions of encouragement and hope. What do you mean by that? I think when we are reflecting on our lives, um, we don't talk about, when people reflect on their lives, they don't talk about the things they've achieved. They talk about the people that mm -hmm. they've been with. Um, David Brooks in his book, The Road to Character, talks about, you know, the difference between the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. And I think that's a salient way of putting it. And so, yeah, so my hope would be that, uh, people Great. that I've interacted with have felt encouraged. I think that's a rich word that we use perhaps a bit casually that not only people have yeah. um, been cheered on, but been given courage. And so, yeah, my hope is that in the little interactions, in seeing what people are doing and celebrating that, in right. sharing ideas and getting to know people, I think hopefully there's a sense of of that. I'd love to... Um, I love to be known as someone who is an encourager. And, um, and I think that courage is, is wrapped up in hope, which is um, not a, you know, a wish fulfillment, but a, a sense of um, love stretching itself into the future is how one person put it. So, so I think that's the case. And I think also in terms of my work um, at Scotts and, and, and other, in other areas, uh, a real hope that we've actually changed things that we've, you know, we mm -hmm. talk at Scotts about reinventing education, which is a pretty audacious thing to, to, to talk about um, but yeah we really want to see things change and to see that um, so that 
more students have a richer experience of formation, not just so that they're set up well for the disruption of the future and, um, and you know, the, the new economies and all those things we hear about, but actually they're really, um, you know, they're flourishing human beings who go on to make a meaningful contribution um, that's grounded in a strong sense of who they are, their purpose um, and their, their place in the world. Amazing! What a uh, what a wonderful answer. Thank you for uh, um, uh, thank you for for sharing that with us. And a final question: I want to be respectful of your time. Um, where can people find out more about you? Sure, they can uh, find me on, on LinkedIn, just Hugh Children, uh, or um, or go to our website, scotts.college, and got some things up there. And yeah, always love connecting with people, and um, so feel free to reach out. Amazing. Um, Dr. Hugh Chilton, thank you so much uh, for taking the time today. Um, I'm incredibly grateful and um, hopefully uh, people listening to this podcast will, uh, will get a lot out of it. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Matthew. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time.